you know, nonprofit is our is the tax status, but the foundation and and the camps themselves are real businesses. Consumers are making choices about every product, and they're making choices about camp. And so, camps need to think about their their brands and their businesses in the context of a of a society of choice. From the recording studios of Reconstructing Judaism, this is Trending Jewish with Rachel Burgess and Brian Schwartzman. We've got a great show today. It's part two of our series on Jewish camp and camping. We had a great conversation with Isaac Saposnik in the last episode. And continuing in that discussion, we're going to be talking to Jeremy Fingerman of the uh, executive director of the Foundation for Jewish Camp. And for those uh, soup lovers and wine lovers out there, he also used to work at Campbell Soup and Manischewitz. Um, but also, before we get to our guests, uh, we want to remind you to subscribe to our show wherever you listen. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Castro, and wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify worked really well. I've tried it. It's 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 pretty pretty easy to download. I'm still kind of like wrapping my head around Spotify and doing podcasts, but I'm also an Apple user, so I'm very very much in love with my iPhone. So. Apple Podcasts is where I'm at, and the rest of you guys out there who don't use it, I don't know. I just, I don't know what to say about you. Yeah, I... Brian. (laughs) (laughs) I have an Android. And leave us a rating review, please. (laughs) Reviews really, really help people find the show. Right now, we have... 12 five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts? I made that number up. I think that's right. I think maybe 13. It's accurate. We're almost sure that's accurate enough. Five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. But we need more. If you leave us a review, we will... Respect uh, you forever. (laughs) We will be your biggest fans. We'll come up with something. We promise. (laughs) But, um, and as you were saying earlier, now that that business is over... um, you know, this is a really great episode. I am such a lover of Jewish camps, even though I never got to experience it myself. But as we're finding out and we're seeing more and more, that's really the way to engage kids into the Jewish world. There's studies that have been published that the one big factor to keep kids engaged in the Jewish world as adults is camp and the camp experience. Yeah, and and what Rabbi Isaac told us last time is, We've actually increased the number of kids who are going to camp either overnight or um, day camp, but that number is still at about 10%. So, of course, I guess what we need to keep talking about, we need to keep talking about that 10%, but also the other 90% that aren't getting that experience. And our guest mentions the One Happy Camper program. Um, I don't think we really explain it, but it's... it's uh, it's a collaboration usually between local Jewish federations and um, and and the Foundation for Jewish Camp, and they give scholarships, I think as much as $1,000 for first-time campers to go to overnight camp. I think they have some day camp scholarships. Uh, also, um, I know we're getting close to the summer, but look into it. There is funding available. And also other camps as well, like camps as well. You can always reach out to them and talk about um, their scholarship programs as well. Most, if all not, if not all camps, I think have some sort of scholarship program to help kind of um, offset that financial burden. And I'm pretty much jealous of all the kids who get to go to camp this summer and past summers. Um, every time I go to visit uh, Camp Havaya that up in the Poconos, I feel like I just didn't quite have a proper childhood. They have like these inflatable lakes and 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 slides. I know I've seen it elsewhere, but but that just was that that are on the lake and it just was completely missing from my childhood and it looks like the coolest thing and I kind of just want to jump in the water every time I go, but I haven't It's I haven't also had usually a warm yet. when we go. It's yeah. usually pretty warm. So that's another reason why we're always talking about jumping into the lake yeah, as well. The lake slide just it looks it, like it's so much fun. It it does. Um, so 
we've got Jeremy Fingerman here. I think we've got uh, we've got plenty to plenty to talk about. Right, and he's also got a great view because um, the the Foundation for Jewish Camps really has a good overall look at. Jewish camps across North America. And so we're pretty excited to be able to talk to him about the different trends that he's seeing um, and some of the big questions that have been in the news recently about um, Jewish camps, including um, safety, including, um, you know, how camps are approaching. Um, You mentioned this article about, um, you know, camp not being the place anymore to go find your, you know, your future spouse. So he, uh, he addresses it all. Should we bring our guest on? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, Jeremy Fingerman, welcome to Trending Jewish. We're, we're so excited to have you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. I guess I'll, I'll start. Um, so we, we want to know a little bit um, a little bit about you. I understand you grew up growing to Camp Ramon in, in Wisconsin and was wondering if, if you could Tell us a little bit about your camp experience and how it shaped you. Well, thanks. Uh, yes, I, I grew up in Cincinnati. Uh, it was my bar mitzvah year. My rabbi told my parents, you, you should send him to Ramah. And um, I like to say that's when a rabbi was a rabbi and you did whatever the rabbi said. <laughs> so my parents sent me to Ramah. They didn't call and interview the director. They didn't do, there was no research to be done. There was... And we just went, and I just went. And uh, I can look back and say, yes, those four years in, in Wisconsin, the fifth year in, in Israel, but with that group, uh, formative uh, and transformative for me, for my family, uh, really, really powerful. So I'm a, you know, I'm a consumer, I guess. I'm a camper at heart. And uh, so I deeply believe in what we're, in what we're doing, our work, because um, it it happened to me. It affected me positively. One of the fascinating things, actually, reading about your background is that you have your your career really started out in the corporate world. You're you're working for Manischewitz and you're working for Campbell's Soup. Um, so how do you go from being a pretty high level person in these corporations into going to nonprofit? I that's not, I mean, you don't, you don't think about nonprofits as being a very lucrative endeavor. So it seems like a big shift for you. Well, uh, look, we got to go back in the story. Um, and it's funny because, uh, I had been offered a job as a camp counselor, um, uh, when I was in college, I guess. And, uh, I, I think I even accepted the job and then a week or two weeks later, I got a job in Washington that I had applied for in Washington, D.C., working for a congressman. So then I think I wrote snail mail to the director saying, my apologies, but I, I, I can't accept. And, and uh, he said, well, I hope you'll reconsider next year. But for me, that was once I got on that track, um, uh, first in Washington and then ultimately business school and then uh, you know, working, I, I was on that path. So after business school, I moved to Minneapolis to work for General Mills in the breakfast cereal business. And I uh, had five and a half great years in Minneapolis. Um, actually met my, my, uh, my wife there um, and uh, then moved to Philadelphia to, Cam- uh, to work for Campbell Soup Company, where we spent 12 years both in the U.S. and overseas. Ultimately, I was president of the U.S. Soup Division. Wow. Where Campbell's the largest division of the company. Then I got recruited to uh, become CEO of Manischewitz. So that's uh, why we moved to northern New Jersey from, from Philadelphia. And um, so the story there was it was a private equity-backed uh, firm. And we knew it was, you know, a couple of years, a short stint, get it cleaned up and sold. And uh, and we did that. And and I was out then when we sold the company, I was out looking for my next food or beverage position. And uh, I got a call from a headhunter who had been hired by the by FJC, the Foundation for Jewish Camp, to, to find uh, their next uh, CEO. And they were looking for someone who had a corporate background in branding, marketing, sort of, in, and strategy. So as I started getting, you know, I, I think the headhunter called and I, 
a flood of memories when they said Foundation for Jewish Camp, a flood of, of, of positive memories, you know, came to me um, as I started thinking about it. I called my wife and, and same thing happened to her because she had been a camper also in Wisconsin, different camp. But she too had this positive, you know, sort of warm feeling and said, hey, I, I think it's worth uh, kicking the tires on it. And uh, so we got to know more members of the board and started looking at it and, and saw that the foundation was really trying to operate um, and to help the field operate. Uh, you know, nonprofit is our is the tax status, but that the foundation and and the camps themselves are real businesses. They're 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 uh, and and they need to operate uh, profitably and appropriately. Uh, and so I feel like this is, you know, coming to, to market and sell and think of strategies for the field of Jewish camp, the foundation is exactly what I had been doing in my career at General Mills, at Campbell's and at Manischewitz. These are brands, businesses, services, services offered to consumers. We're in a society of choice. People, consumers are making choices about every product and they're making choices about camp and so camps need to think about their their brands and their businesses in a in in the context of a, of a society of choice so i mean how do you go about building the building the brand of of, of jewish jewish camp in general or or are you building the brand in general or are you focused on helping each individual brand build build their brands well, um, I, I think it's a combination. So the, the first recognition of every camp, each individual camp, and, and there's 160, uh, 166, I think, but let's call it 160 Jewish overnight camps in North America and another 150, 160 Jewish day camps um, across North America. So it, it's a big industry, but each camp has its own sort of brand. Each camp is their own independent. Generally, they're all 501c3 uh, independent of a, some are affiliated with larger organizations, but in general, they're, they're independent um, and they have a brand and they're a business. And as I say, the nonprofit is their tax status, but they, they camps a, a profitable business. In this case, uh, our camps, the nonprofit camps reinvest their operating profits back into scholarships or into capital improvements or maintenance, uh, you know, uh, uh, ongoing maintenance and repairs. So, and, and, uh, and in staffing. So the, the, they're not making profit, but they're putting those profits back in, in, into the business. But so to answer your question, the first piece is each camp is its own brand. Um, and in some cases, if you're in a network of, let's say, Ramah camps, so you have the Ramah brand that stretches across 10 camps, that's uh, wonderful. But look what, what, what has happened with Havaya, uh, the old Camp JRF, now Camp Havaya, and opened the new specialty camp, which is Havaya Arts. So there's a whole branding piece, and, I, and I'm proud that I played a role in that, that conversation and that push to, to go to sort of a common branding. As we think broader than just the individual camps and beyond the movements, we think about camp, is, is camp a brand? Is, is Foundation for Jewish Camp a brand? Um, I, we like to say we're, we're wholesalers, not retailers. And so the foundation is not as well known to a, a parent or to an individual consumer, to a camper. But many are familiar with One Happy Camper, which is our signature uh, consumer-facing brand. And that's the Foundation for Jewish Camps One Happy Camper program, which is uh, an incentive grant for first-time campers, $1,000 off your first year in camps, first summer at camp. That brand is perhaps more known by the general public. And, and so, you know, you sort of look in, in some cases brands can be consumer facing and sometimes they're industry, you know, industry facing. Uh, I think Foundation for Jewish Camp is a good brand for the total industry. And maybe our key targets are 
federations, foundations, other uh, funders, philanthropists, and I think the brand of Foundation for Jewish Camp is well known to those sort of playing on the regional or national scene. I was curious, um, seeing some of the reporting in in JTA, the 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 tactic of of, of funding um, funding reported stories about about camp in general that um, I think you guys are involved with. I was wondering if that if that kind of fits into the strategy of of, of reaching your your target audience about about promoting camp? Well, I, I think the uh, the Foundation for Jewish Camp really is an advocate for the field. Um, and I think our role in, 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 a, uh, in the public space probably is to um, share the story of Jewish Camp in its biggest sense, not the individuals, but the, the big story of why Jewish Camp works. We've uh, commissioned research uh, studies, We've commissioned, uh, uh, you know, papers written about uh, the impact of camp, and I think our role is to sort of help promote, you know, camp and help get local communities, local federations, uh, camp or movements like uh, uh, Reconstructing Judaism or the Conservative United Synagogue or uh, the Union for Reform Judaism (URJ) to get those movements prioritizing and talking about. Um, Jewish camps. So, so a lot of our work is is in that space. So going into um, actually you what you just mentioned with um, the research that um, your organization um, really invests quite a bit in, um, what has been the most interesting study done? Like, are there any results that have really surprised you from these studies? Uh, I don't know if uh, surprise is the right word. I think a lot is, is sort of uh, the, the data has confirmed um, a lot of what we've known. First, that camp works sort of in its headline. And what are those elements of camp that works? It's spending time away from home, away from parents in a peer sort of community, a community of peers led by a a near peer role model. So that, that, that counselor role model key, I'm gonna come back to that uh, in a moment, um, that camp in general has uh, an aspirational arc that you come back year after year. And as you grow and mature through adolescence and the teen years, but coming back to camp then becomes sort of an anchor or check-in as, as part of uh, that growth. So that, that's in, in one sense, the, the fact that camp works. The, the, the second piece I would say is, is we've got research that tells us if counselors are satisfied, if they're having a good summer and if they're happy as an employee, if you will, that they will transmit that sort of joy even more effectively to their campers, which then drives camper satisfaction. We, we started measuring, actually it's interesting, we started measuring camper satisfaction about 12 years ago. And we now have over 70 camps that survey their parents, their campers, uh, the parents of campers at the end of a session. And we get, I I think this past year, we had 11,000 parents respond, some responding on behalf of multiple kids. So it was like 15,000 camper experiences that we got data on. And that data is broken into seven areas of, of real concentration and of questions. And one of the things that had come out over the years was the importance of, of the counselors and sort of, of their performance on the campus satisfaction and the parents' satisfaction. So we then kind of created, invented, created, developed a new tool called staff satisfaction insights to begin to measure the staff satisfaction as a driver of, and it you know, connects to, but it's a driver of camper satisfaction. So a lot of data being collected and then used, making sure we're learning and reflecting on, on the data, but um, to help then prioritize efforts either by the foundation or by the camps themselves in, in, in those, uh, those areas. So I think one, Maybe people will always say that Jewish counselors are what distinguishes Jewish camp and are, are sort of the key aspect. I think we then brought data to to kind of confirm 
that if you have, if you're, you know, uh, delivering high levels of satisfaction on the staff, they're going to help drive satisfaction for the campers. Since we're talking about staff, I, I understand the foundation has invested a significant number of resources and energy towards professionalizing uh, camp staff, professionalizing the camp director staff. Can you talk about that and the importance of it? Yes. Um, so look, at the, at the core of any enterprise, whether it's camp or whether it's Campbell Soup, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, at the core of the success of any enterprise is the the, the talent you have in, in leadership. And, and ultimately, the quality of a leader. So let's think about a congregation. The, if the rabbinic leadership is, you know, a high performer star, you know, in, 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 in so many areas, that congregation is going to thrive. And if it's, if it's not, there's going to be trouble. So I think it's, you know, good common sense, but the, there was, uh, I, I think this story, this is before my time, I, I think it was about 2006 or 2007, I think, let's say 2006, um, there, the Foundation for Jewish Camp had a visit, visited with uh, Bernie Marcus of Home Depot, who shared his own story of saying the best stores, the highest performing stores in the Home Depot market were the ones that they had trained those store managers to think of themselves as the CEOs of that store and that they took ownership of that and, and, and felt sort of that depth of commitment and, and those stores outperformed the industry. So he took, you know, it's sort of in that conversation, uh, we had the, the idea, the thought of uh, the creation of our executive leadership institute which was designed to take veteran camp directors um, and give them an MBA in Jewish camping. And this was like an 18 month course to give them the highest level of, of thinking about their camp and their, their organization differently and thinking about it as that their role, not only as camp director, but they saw themselves as CEOs of their organizations and that they would set the tone from a vision and performance and metrics and of board development and all those things. And um, we can see, we've, we've now done, we're in the fourth cohort. So we've done this as a cohort training of, let's say uh, 16 to 18 uh, fellows in each, uh, in each group. So we, we've got a, a group of, I think 17 or 18 right now, we have eight, uh, 54 graduates. And then, uh, you know, so it's seven, uh, yeah, getting close to 70 graduates of this program. And those camps that have directors who've been through that program are outperforming the industry on enrollment, on satisfaction, on fundraising. So on, on all sort of the key measures of vibrancy and health and, 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 and a lot of money was invested in each of those directors. I'm very proud that, um, well, first, there's a vast percentage that's still um, in their positions working either at the same camp they were at or maybe have switched camps. Uh, or, but there's quite a number, uh, a high percentage, I think it's like 80%, 85% that are still working in the Jewish broader Jewish communal space. So the training that may have, you know, I think our first graduates finished in 2007 or 2008. And now it's, you know, uh, years later, 11 years later there, and they're still either working camp or in the Jewish community. That's a, a really great return on investment. So I, I think professionalizing, not just camp directors, but we took that idea and then did a similar program for uh, assistant directors, and then have done a similar program for unit heads, and then uh, for uh, ultimately for camp counselors. And, and so the idea really is to get people to think more broadly about, about camp as, a, as an organization, as an as a enterprise. Um, and, uh, and it's been that investment, I, I think, has been uh, incredibly 
uh, effective. And it also is a reminder to all of us that inspired leadership, uh, caring for our leadership, developing leadership in all of our organizations, that's what's gonna make a difference in performance. And I, I think that's true in business, it's true in nonprofits, true in, you know, in uh, faith, any faith-based institution, inspiration and effectiveness of your leader is gonna lead to uh, performance, high performance. It's interesting, you know, as we've been learning so much about the Foundation for Jewish Camps, how much investment that you do um, in people, but also in um, in camps as well. And one of the things that Camp Havaya was able to do was participate in an incubator grant um, in order to start Havaya Arts. Um, I guess what was the... Um, what are these incubator grants doing and what are you seeing in the Jewish world in terms of camping? Good, good, good. Great question. So let's uh, roll back, you know, probably 13, uh, 13, 14 years uh, ago. And uh, when you took a scan of the, the Jewish camp market, uh, you know, growth was, you know, sort of static. And you then looked at what was happening in the secular world in camping. And there was a dramatic trend in, in uh, a growing trend, but already uh, there of shorter sessions, specialty skill building type camps. So this could be all sports, it could be creative arts, it could be some, in some cases, academic programs. Um, but the idea was focused on teens, number one, focused on shorter sessions, and really interestingly, focused on skill building so that there was a real interest among you know seen in the secular world but certainly lots of jewish families making choices and choosing those programs versus you know a jewish camp because that didn't exist so uh fortunately the foundation uh was able to um secure a, an initial grant from the jim joseph foundation um to open up to incubate really create from scratch initially five new specialty camps uh, that started incubating 2008 and launched in summer 2010. We're now 10 summers later in 2019. We have, the foundation has now done three rounds of this. We've launched, developed and launched, incubated and launched 17 new camps since 2010. Wow amazing right wow. and that's a real credit to the, our uh, i think our work but really to the uh the jim joseph foundation later joined by uh, with funding from the abhi high foundation but the what the research uh, showed was that these camps were attracting kids who weren't going to go to jewish camp that summer M more than half either had not gone to jewish camp ever or certainly were, were, had aged to a point where they were searching for a skill building specialty experience and they weren't gonna go to a Jewish camp. And we reversed that trend. And now those 17 camps, 14 of the 17 are still operating. So it's a you know, pretty good success, uh, successful track record. Um, there've been 10, almost 10,000 unique campers that have had at least one year experience in one of those camps. So, you know, it, it, it's been big. And uh, as I say, attracted uh, new kids. Well, what has then happened, and we were able to get a grant recently and we're piloting a program we call the Competitive Edge, which is to uh, give a grant to traditional camps to open up a specialty track within their traditional camp. So it, it, it's, it's designed for camps that still have capacity to serve more. Uh, one of the programs, for example, is a culinary institute. So they're taking old, I think it was an old dance studio, um, and they put in a big investment in high-end culinary uh, you know, equipment, tables, sinks, all the equipment, the right kind of uh, lighting, the right uh, sort of uh, mirrors, just like you know one of the cooking shows. And... Uh, and those kids are coming and picking up, you know, they're going to uh, develop real culinary arts skills um, at a camp that one had capacity to serve more. And, but it's really they're attracting kids who aren't going to go to that camp. 
So what we're seeing in the secular industry is moving more to specialty skill building experiences. And we're making sure in an economy of choice that the Jewish community is offering Jewish choices as well. And, and that's really the genesis of, of, of the incubator. Um, the benefit of going through a, a program like Havaya. So we take an institution, a brand, Havaya, and that's uh, been very successful in the uh, Northeast, in the Poconos. And can you take that brand, but with a new specialty item called Havaya Arts? And through a, you know, we, we've funded, and the program was almost uh, almost two years, 18 and 20 months, let's call it 20 months of training, intentional training and, and work before they even open the doors. And uh, we're, we're, the foundation is paying for the salary of the, of the staff, uh, is paying for all the training and sort of the operating deficits in the first initial three years to give these chance a, these camps a chance to uh, to survive and succeed. And it's been a great model because they're doing it with a an expert team of uh, you know a, a team of experts that we've assembled and now has done this for 17 camps, but also they're doing it together. So they develop a camaraderie and a cohort and a uh, uh, you know a group that they're going through this experience with together. So it, it's been a great, great model. And it's made a difference, uh, you know, to the field. Oh, really? Um, I guess, I guess taking a, a, a slight turn. I mentioned, um, you know, I mentioned I mentioned the news earlier. There was a there was a really interesting piece uh, recently. I think JTA ran it also that um, talked about different camps. Havaya is um, was one of them that are that are trying to consciously getting away from. The coupling model and this this long-held expectation that you'll meet your uh, your future uh, spouse at camp and, and and this is this is kind of coming in a context of 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 the Me Too era and kind of the Jewish communal reckoning of of of, uh, of revelations about Michael Steinhardt and Stephen M Cohen and a whole questioning over the the continuity you know the the focus on, on on continuity and 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 procreation in the Jewish community. So it's big stuff. It's bigger than camp, but it seems like it's you know it involves camp in some way. And I guess like wondering if you could talk about how camps are wrestling and and grappling maybe with these changing expectations. Right. Great. Well, you you make a it's a great question. You make a great point that camps are operating in in the context of today's world. I think I said earlier that uh, my admiration for camp professionals because the complexity of the job that they have to do today is infinitely more challenging than uh, what it was, you know, a generation ago. We're operating in a in a world right now of unprecedented change. It's actually accelerating the the rate of change and how a camp, how any entity, how any organization how any professional stays ahead of that or stay, keeps up with that level of change is, um, is, is really um, both a challenge and, and an opportunity. I think, so the field of Jewish camp, you would say, let's take any of the trends uh, that you have in our Jewish community. We have, the Jewish community is extremely diverse. Our camps reflecting that diversity and Fortunately, we've been able to get grants that have helped camps. Uh, in one case, it's significant grants to increase the number, the accessibility, and the inclusion of more kids with disabilities in camp. There should be no, you know, kids of all abilities should be able to attend uh, camp. Uh, we've gotten grants to attract, have camps uh, attract Russian speakers that weren't necessarily going to camp and, and to get them there. So. If you think about, I'm going to answer the question, but I'm, I'm saying in the <laughs> context of diversity uh, and, and having camps reflect what is happening in, in uh, society today, both population and, and, uh, and challenges. So in the case of Me Too, we're, we're operating in that whole, in, in the space. Remember, our, our, our campers are growing up in, in that world. Our staff, the counselors are finding things 
uh, on the college campus and they bring all that uh, with them. I think the, the directors, the camp professionals need to have uh, uh, you know, help or additional suggestions and resources in this case to help. H how do we communicate in age appropriate ways uh, what's, what's allowed or what's, what's comfortable, what's, uh, what's uh, you know, the right ways to, um, to acknowledge another person, to um, um, honor and respect space um, and, and, and those issues. I think it's a cultural shift that a camps have to take on or any organizations have to take on. And you have to, it, there are policies, procedures, there are lots of trainings. Ultimate, all those things are adding up to helping change the culture uh, of camp to be one that is safe. That's one of uh, where you can ask questions and, and uh, help to figure out who you are as a person um, and uh, how you fit into today's world. And we hope uh, that it's an environment that is safe, uh, that it's secure, that it honors uh, each individual and, and, and their bodies and, and, and that we're valuing. And then, you know, we, there's one camp that, that talks about no body talk. I mean, that, that you don't comment on, oh, you look you know, great today or your, your, your hair is great or, you know, talk about, I love your inside or I love your, your soul or your spirit, or you, you seem really happy today. Concentrate on, on both the emotions or, or the attitudes, not on, on the physicality. And I think those camps are, are making a difference that kids then take back to their home, to their community, to their schools. It's a really important role we play. Um, so you actually were just recently at a, at a conference about basically safety at Jewish organizations. And camp has a very, you know, camp is a very unique place. I think all Jewish institutions are, but it's very unique because a lot of places, you know, camp is outdoors. And um, on top of that, you have to be kind of careful about how you um, approach safety in a camp because you want to do it in such a way that everyone knows that they're safe, but at the same time, you don't want to traumatize anybody either. So I'm curious, what are the insights um what what are happen what's happening at camps now to kind of balance those needs of making sure everyone knows that you know the kids are safe the kids know they're safe their parents of the kids know that they're safe but also not to traumatize anybody as well yeah understood so so look first we're living in a as i say you know this unprecedented time of uh of change who would have thought that the level of anti-Semitism, which, you know, had been going, let's say, you know, down and, and hopefully it was being eradicated, you know, is, is kind of rearing its ugly head again, not only in Europe, but um, in America. Um, and so we're living in, in those times and uh, that's affecting, you know, tragically Pittsburgh and, you know, congregational life. It's attracting all uh, Jewish institutions, uh, uh, JCCs, um, uh, community centers, uh, and of course, uh, camps. So this sort of speaks to number one, again, the comment that we're, we're a part of the world and we have to recognize that those trends, those things that are happening affect camps uh, as well. And, and, and yet, as you say, uh, first of all, you cannot make camp, you know, camps are on hundreds of acres each camp some are on big public lakes uh, there's no way you can put a fence or a wall you can't build a wall to keep you know the camp safe right i mean it's that so what you have to do is just develop a series of of, of policies and protocols and procedures and have to make people aware of who's a part of the camp community and who isn't and there's a number of, of, of small things that can be done. I love uh, the idea that all staff members, this happens in, in, in a number of camps and really happens in day camps for sure, that all staff members are wearing the same colored t-shirt on the same day. Hmm. So that anybody can recognize 
And if they have any kind of problem or challenge, they can recognize the staff member and get help from anybody in that color t-shirt. But it is also a way to help camps and campers help everybody identify who doesn't belong. And that visitors, many of the camps now, and we're suggesting this, that no one should be allowed to walk around a camp or visit a camp without a visitor's badge or a, you know, a, um, uh, some sort of identification um, that they're a visitor that they have to wear because you want campers and staff uh, to do that. I remember going to, uh, pulling in and visiting a camp and um, I got to the office, maybe it was lunchtime and it and didn't seem like anybody was around. And, and then all of a sudden uh, some kid kind of walking and, and kind of said, can I help you? Now this wasn't somebody who walked, worked, worked in the office. This wasn't, it was somebody who was trained. If you see somebody who is, ask them, can you help them? Can you direct them and escort them to where, where you were looking, like to find the director in my case. So um, that comes from a culture that is, is, you know, training and you can do that in a way that isn't scary, isn't traumatizing, but it's just good, good common sense. Um, I think it was in e Jewish philanthropy you you wrote or 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 a like publication you wrote about um Jewish overnight camps and day camps being incubators for the broader Jewish community so wondering if you could explain what you meant by that how that works um are we all going to be um you know roasting marshmallows in the synagogue uh, lobby or I'll I'll sign up for that yeah, well, I, yes, I think we all would. Well, look, what's what's really interesting is that camp, Jewish camp, has long been sort of a laboratory uh, for contemporary Jewish life. And I gave you just a couple of examples. Think about the music, the 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 spiritual, meaningful, deep and meaningful music of Debbie Friedman. Mm-hmm. And Debbie Friedman's start was in Jewish camp and her song leading was all developed Jewish camp. And what happened in in many congregations, certainly the reform movement, the liturgy of the movement became the song and the liturgy of the camps that came from Debbie Friedman. And the cantorial school is is named after her now. Absolutely. So, So you think about how how we pray, very much influenced by uh, this. I'm, I, I'm working in, in my mind of another article or a, a paper about this. I'm, I'm, I was told recently, and, and, uh, you know, and, and I have the, the data, I just can't quote the exact uh, names and sources. Prior to the 1930s or 1940s, when people would saying, uh, say, Birkat Hamazon, the prayer after eating, Maybe the uh, the introductory uh, uh, prayer, Rabotai Nevarech, of, of inviting people to to come together to pray. Maybe that was said out loud, but the first paragraph or anything else of Birkatamazon was said silently. Hmm. In the 30s or 40s, a cantor uh, wrote a tune or a melody for the first paragraph of Birkatamazon that we all know. Mm-hmm. It didn't take off until it was taught in camps. And now you think about it. At every, almost every Jewish you know, function I go to, the hamotzi is hamotzi lechem in haaretz. Where did that come from? It was taught at camp, right? And yet every institution, they, that's how you open a meal. And the Birkanamazon, the tune and the singing of Birkanamazon started in camp. And of course, hand motions and everything else. But... It is one of the universal things that, uh, you know, at least is well known in the Jewish world and, and it emanates in camp. So if you think about that, what are the, how do we continue to make camps a laboratory for 21st century Jewish expression? And, and it's beyond, and it's, you know, things like diversity and welcoming a welcome uh, a community. It's things like we talked about before about the, um, talking about someone's not not their physical appearance, but their emotional and spiritual appearance. It's fascinating to me that schools and congregations are all looking to model what happens at camp. Can you make your 
your prayers, your tefillah sessions in school and camp like camp? Can you make Hebrew school more like camp? Sure. So what are those elements? Again, I think it's that they're peer, peers, peer-to-peer, led by near peers, you know, uh, role models that you can aspire to be. And uh, I, I, you know, only say that's part of the magic of camp that I can, I look up to this person who's, you know, my counselor who's delivering sort of the lessons and the tradition of camp, but I could, I could be that person too one day. I mean, that's a powerful uh, piece. So, and then that the learning is experiential and what's it, what it, what is it's immersive, but it's experiential. And, and I say to, to folks, when you're teaching a text, it doesn't mean experiential learning would not be, not that you're not learning from a text, but you're learning in chunks, you're discussing, you're breaking it up and discussing. And in some cases, then doing an exercise that sort of brings that text to life. That's all methodology that I think was refined in camp, but it can exist far outside camp. So I, I, um, I think that's one, one uh, example uh, that's important. Another one, I, I want to, is part of our strategic plan and thinking about the field of Jewish camp. We have to think about camp beyond the summer. We have to think about it because the, the summers are getting more pressured, more and more from uh, schools are ending later. They're starting earlier, both colleges, elementary schools, high schools, colleges. There's less weeks available in the summer and there's many more competing interests. Mm. So if you, when I went to camp, I went for eight weeks. Um, if what's normative now is more like, you know, three weeks, maybe on, on average, three and a half weeks. Um, how do you deliver both the power, uh, the same sort of intentionality and the same power? Well, part of it is thinking about camp as year round and lifelong. So the year round piece means, doesn't mean that I'm in camp all year, although that would be, you know, great Fabulous. fun. But, <laughs> but it means that maybe there's communication coming from the camp um, during the year around holiday times. Uh, it, and I tell a quick story, uh, just uh, divert my, my kids, uh, two teens, teenagers, 19 and 17. Uh, but if they would get an email from our synagogue uh, during the week about the teen programs at the synagogue, they won't open that email. They, they won't even have, have looked at it. They'll know nothing about it. If on the same day an email came from the camp with uh, a thought about the week's Torah portion, or about an upcoming holiday. Not only have they read it, they may have printed it out, but for sure we discuss it at the dinner table. Wow. Hmm. So I think there's a power of that the camp can is a is an opening to bring in content, but it that is a way of camp connecting with someone year round. And then I think about lifelong that camp, you know, can't just be for you when you're in elementary school or high school, but what about when you're a counselor? Uh, what about when you're a young alum? What about if you're a part of that community and you feel a depth of that? What are you doing for, for the alumni? Or, and, and then families with young kids. How do you restart the cycle? And that's why day camps play an important role or family camp experiences play an important role that you can use both the facility more than just the summer. And you can certainly use the programming attitude, the brand, the the, the, the power, the immersive power to communicate year round and lifelong. So you spend, um, you spend uh, a chunk of the summer visiting, visiting camps, uh, amazing camps all over, all over the country, all over North America. Um, just, just uh, I'm curious uh, about your, your experience at, at Havaya and Havaya Arts, if anything stands out about it. Well, I'll tell you, just share one story that, uh, that I'm going to get choked up when I tell the story, but I repeat this story almost everywhere I go. So it's a story that Rabbi Isaac told me about uh, how when they went and created, when they moved to the new um, uh, uh, campus, the new campsite, um, that they went to, how do you create a prayer space, the prayer space in sort of in, in the woods, 
how do you make that holy? How do you, how do you create, you know, that? And uh, Rabbi Isaac showed me the bima there that has, um, you know, there was concrete and it has a bunch of rocks that are fit into the, to the bima. And he said the story the first year campers, yeah, I get choked up. He sent them around to camp, find a rock from anywhere in camp because all of camp is holy. We're going to put it here in this spot to make this prayer spot holy. But what makes it so is anywhere in camp because that's what's so sacred about that space. That's the power of Jewish camp right there. Oh my gosh, wow. I'm getting choked up listening to that. That's amusing. I think we are just about out of time and you have a very, very busy summer ahead of you. I wanted to thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk with us and giving us a sort of lay in the land of what's happening at camp today and um, you know, really sharing the, those insights with us and for all that you've done even to support our camps um, Camp Havayan Havayars. Well, I, I, I yes, very uh, admire very much uh, uh, those camps and and, uh, and and the institution and the movement and helping people find a way to connect to uh, Jewish life. That's I think we're all in that business, so um, I, I think we share a common common purpose. So thanks for uh, for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. It was a pleasure having you. We'd like to thank our guest, Jeremy Fingerman, and our wonderful conversation about Jewish camps. And again, this is a great time to sign up your kids for camps. If you were on the fence before, uh, you should definitely, hopefully this pushed you over the, over the decision point. So you will definitely do that. Um, and for episode links and resources or to get in touch with us, you can check out our website at trendingjewish.fireside.fm. And remember to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute, leave us a five-star review. It really helps people find the show. And one last thing, if you like what we're doing, Please consider a gift to Reconstructing Judaism. Gifts are tax deductible and even better, they help support our work and the great work of our organization. You can do that by going to reconstructingjudaism.org slash donate. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Rachel Burgess. I don't know if I can get this line right. Let me think. Oh, yes, I got it. I'm Brian Schwartzman. I'm so glad that you were able to read your name tag. <laughs> and this has been Trending Jewish. Thanks for listening. And remember, be responsible and make good decisions.